Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Thank you. You've happened to turn on another episode of the Custard TV podcast. Maybe it's automatic, you don't want it, but you subscribed and you can't do anything about it. Still appreciate you. Uh, my name is Luke. I run the website occasionally, thecustardtv.com. Matt is here as well. Yo. And uh, Dawn is here as well in the Scotland area. Hello. That's better. That's more becoming on a podcast, not yo. We weren't dragged up, Matt. Come on. So, this is what we do on this podcast. Four brand new TV shows to review. Also, we're going to be talking about what we've been watching collectively as a group and separately. And we're going to tell you everything that's on the site worth your time at the moment as well. Any anecdotes, though, before we start? Dawn was going to the dentist. We were hoping she'd be numb. She's not. I'm disappointed. Yeah, I was hoping I would be drooling. Well, you were anyway, but it wasn't to do with the dentist. You're normally (laughs) drooling on the webcam. That is true. When I'm not throwing my phone on the floor, yes. I'll try not to do that today. Does anyone have a podcast snack normally? I don't hear anyone eating no. ever. You don't? No, no, no. I'd keep lubricated vocally. Oh, that's essential. No eating on mic. That is a podcast. No, no. I, I thought I might start a trend. Is this what you said? You've got a, like a massive thing of popcorn next to you or something. <laughs> just going to randomly eat it when I don't agree with your opinion. But so I'm that's just going to be the entire podcast? Possibly, although I feel there might be some synergy this week. I just feel it in my bones. Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV podcast. Podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com The four shows we're talking about this week, we're doing it quite simply. Two from the BBC and two from Apple TV+. The two from the BBC are £10 Poms, which starts on Sunday, and The Steel Town Murders, which starts on Monday. And the two from Apple TV are High Desert with Patricia Arquette and... City on Fire. That's it. I had no idea what it was called. It's come back I feel to like me. Luke, you needed some new batteries put in yeah. there. City, <laughs> City on Fire. That's what it is, uh, which starts soon as well. We're going to be covering all those. First of all, though, what have we been watching? Well, I'm glad you asked because I've got a list. Obviously, I'm still watching Succession. Obviously, that episode was fantastic with Sarah Snook and Matthew McFadden just stealing the whole thing with that rooftop argument. It was just unbelievably well written all their scenes this season have been fantastic 
I'm still watching Barry, which no one in this country appears to be because I'm desperate to talk to people about that. And I haven't uh, been keeping up really with it. Sorry, uh, Luke. Okay. But I um, haven't been doing Ted Lasso either. I've been really busy, so literally it's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I'm also um, at US pace because I, I think it's coming here soon, but I'm not sure when. I'm doing Somebody Somewhere, which is one of my favourite shows from last year. Next, is... next month, June. Thank you, man. Comedy in June. It is a beautiful little show. They've done away with some things that I loved about last season. They've sort of stripped those away, and that's a shame. But I just, it's a great little hangout show uh, that I just love spending time with the characters. I finished Beef. Still wrestling with what I actually thought about that final episode, but as a whole, I thought it was a really inventive, enjoyable show. I did all the jury duty, which I just fell under the spell of because I really liked how much Ronald was part of it. And how I'm much... surprised at that, you know, Luke. I it, wouldn't it have thought really... that was for you. No, it was really, really brilliant. And it just grew mm. on me more and more because I think Dawn will agree. What, what I liked about it was the fact that the cast really liked him and they were so pleased for him in the end when he got his money. He was just such a lovely person and... It just kept surprising me. That's a really warm show that I would recommend to most people. Uh, we need to talk about Cosby, I did, on the iPlayer, which is a fascinating documentary about how America grasps with the fact that America's dad, Bill Cosby, is now very much not that and has perhaps been fooling people for the majority of his career. It is fascinating. We were talking after the podcast we recorded on Sunday and Sarah said she didn't want to talk about the fact that she'd watched it on the, Oh really? Why not? Because of the, uh, because of the subject matter I think well, but she recommended it to both of us You can't not talk about it because it's no. an important piece of uh, no, we need to we need to talk about Cosby, we, it's right We there. need to talk about it, it's in the title Yeah, I really enjoyed that I th- It's just really well done Like, Can you separate the art from the artist is always a question and with him, I think it's particularly hard. In my opinion, this year's TV has not lived up to my expectations. However, last year still had a lot of great stuff that I haven't got to. So I did the second season of Slow Horses really quickly. It's just a fun show. I really love it. <laughs> I really loved Slow Horses. But the cast is brilliant. They added Amy, Amy Fionn Williams. Amy Fionn no, Edwards do. to the Edwards, cast there you this, go. this year. And whenever she's added, everything gets better. So that was brilliant. Reservation Dogs, I finished this morning. Easily, if I'd have seen it last year, would have been in my top ten shows of the year because it is just so beautifully done, so, so full, and telling the story from a completely different perspective. And then finally, I finished the English as well from last year with Emily Blunt. Uh, oh, okay. And thought that was really interesting and well told. Again, well. not up your street normally. Well, I it? love westerns. No. I love Deadwood, and I love like There mm. Will Be Blood and and um, No Country for Old Men. So that sort of aesthetic does uh, mm. appeal to me. But the, yeah, I thought it was really well done. He, Cheske Spencer is particularly compelling in that role. I've also finished Bar the Reunion, Race Across the World, Dawn. You've completed two of the three Yay. series now. Is this one still I'll your favourite? I don't know. I I agree with what everybody said that this season has has less tension and high drama. But I really, really loved the people this time. 
So I just loved getting to know them and yay, middle-aged women is what I, so hooray for Cassian. I, I think by the end of the, I was like, I d- hope that they win. The other two couple stories didn't rely on them winning, but I think their win would meant the most to them. And as you yeah. say, it's sort of the, the demographic. And I, I loved what, you know, with uh, Zainab and Moby in that moment with the, the guy talking about adoption in the car, it would just, it felt very like, you know, whatever you believe in God, the universe, bringing them to that moment that they were meant to be there. And that was, you know, considering it was completely unconstructed was really a lovely TV moment. In a one way, it's old school reality TV with, with no like voting out or anything like that. But in another way, it's just about genuinely nice people doing genuinely nice things. And and those who didn't win were still appreciative of the experience they'd had and congratulating Trish and Cathy as well. There's no like cameras where they snipe against each other or they, it's about stirring the pot or anything like that, which reality TV sort of became famous for the more it went on. It's about genuinely nice people being genuinely nice. Of course, there's moments where they sort of go, oh, they've obviously got a, a lift out and we're going to be left behind, but it's not any malicious thoughts behind no. it, and that's what I it's like. It's natural jealousy, show. isn't it? Envy. Yeah. But yeah, I, I watched about half of the reunion show as well, and, and it was a lot of sort of clips, but just two things that you brought up there. They were talking about every time, you know, they got to the rest stop and had like a day or so together, they basically said, even though we were racing against each other, it was great all meeting up every time. And As well as a show, it uh, gives you faith in humanity, especially this season, for how much people helped them. And not just, I'll let you use my mobile phone or whatever. You know, they, they took them into their homes and then they would say, oh yeah, I'll drive you 3,000 kilometres, mm. sure. And how generous people were. And that was something else that they talked about on that reunion show and how... You know, they were asking themselves, would we do that if we were in that position? And they said that, you know, having had that experience, they would do that now, whereas before they wouldn't have considered it. I mean, my one favourite thing of the reunion special, uh, which I've seen, is when the shots of them all arriving, You most of them you see walking to the place, but Kevin and Claudia get out of a taxi, which I thought was a nice touch. <laughs> I don't know how many of you stayed after the credits last night. They did also tease the autumn uh, celebrity race across the world with just with no visuals, but just some voices that visuals. I'll be honest. No visuals, <laughs> just some some voices that I didn't recognise. No. Um, so I know it's, that, it's celebrities and their loved ones, isn't yes. it? So it's not pairs of celebrities. It'll be, it's four celebrities and, and a friend or a, a loved relative. one. Yeah. Yeah. I just hope that that doesn't change the way the show feels. I don't know why I think... It's just whenever anything gets celebrified, it sort of takes some of the charm away from it. So I just hope they're good at casting the same sort of people as they would for the main series. But that's coming on in the autumn, so I'll be interested to see it. Dawn, what have you been watching? Uh, The only thing that you haven't mentioned that I have been watching, because I've been watching... Succession and Ted Lasso and uh, Race Course World is The Diplomat. I finished it, thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm not normally drawn political thriller type things, but it's entirely because of Kerry Russell and her character. I just loved it. It felt much more relatable, human 
because of her character was was just such a kind of normal person, but who had a genius for diplomacy. And it had a big cliffhanger ending, big cliffhanger ending. So I'm trying to say what without saying what it is, no. but it could have a big effect on the dynamic of season two. Because what I liked about it when I watched the first one was it was serious when it needed to be, but it, it didn't have that sort of stiff upper lip that I associate with a lot of political dramas. Do you yeah. think that, that maintained all yes. the way through? Definitely. I think, you know, if you compare it to something like Homeland, which felt very mm. serious and very all yeah. the time, you know, there's a, still a lot of moments of levity. Like, there's a whole scene where she basically, in the space of a few hours, just is thrown onto a plane to go and meet the president and uh, come back again. And she's is wearing a grey suit and she gets yoghurt on her trousers and then she tries to get it off and makes it worse. You know, and it's just that kind of stuff, that kind of levity and real-lifeness of it um throughout it and it did have a lot of serious stuff i mean there's a there's a whole bit a russian diplomat and a meeting with him but there's still just those quirky moments that they kept in it and they also kept me on a sort of seesaw of how i felt about hal whether you know he really has her best interests at heart or is he just out for himself all the time so i liked that uncertainty i thought that was an interesting question to have hanging over the season Matt has said that he hasn't been able to keep up with Ted Lasso because of work uh, and busy life and things. Dawn has written a piece on on the website now, thecustardv.com, saying that the series is in a bit of a mess. It's got plot lines here, there and everywhere. And subsequently, I've seen other pieces like that pop up. We're, we're near the end, I believe. Do you feel like that piece still stands the more episodes that come out? I haven't seen the one that dropped last night. But um, last week's, absolutely. Last week's was one of the worst turns. I wouldn't say worst episode because there are always good bits in it, but the worst plot development that I I just hated it. The the fact that um, Keely has a private video leaked, it basically destroys her relationship with Jack and also, you know, makes her generally unhappy. I just feel they're just punishing Keely turn after turn after turn for being successful. And mm. I, I don't understand why they have this plot line. Why hasn't the focus been on Roy in terms of their relationship and his personal development? I just don't know. It's like, oh, we need to do something with Keely. Uh, but do you know <clears throat> what I think is because Brett Goldstein would have been working on shrinking at the same time? Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com slash holiday. Yeah. That's my theory about why he's not been in the show and possibly why they've had to do other things with Keeley. I don't know about you, Luke, but initially they'd announced this as the final season, hadn't they? But I'm getting the feeling they haven't drilled into that. They didn't advertise it as the final season when it was coming up. So I wonder if they're leaving it open, whether they want to do another one or not. I think based on the reaction to this one, they're going to have to do something else. Mm. I've just got a feeling that 
their plans to make this the last one changed at some point and maybe some of the things that they have planned have now and that's maybe why they're having to go in different and obviously you know with both Brett Goldstein and Bill Lawrence working on another show simultaneously mm-hmm. as well I don't know if that's contributing to it yeah I just wanted because I saw Brett Goldstein on the picket lines on Twitter I didn't see him here <laughs> I made it sound like he was in the local co-op there I didn't mean to I saw him on the picket lines as part of the WGA strike that's going on in America now where basically everyone that's part of the Reuters Guild of America is on strike hoping for a better deal and one of the things that it's over is because writers don't get residuals anymore from streamers in the old system of syndication once a show reached 100 episodes which no show does anyway now but in the old days you'd get a syndication or a repeat fee and a writer would get a big proportion of that repeat fee and I saw Brett Goldstein being asked A does he get any extra money for Ted Lasso on top of his role as exec producer writer and star he said no he doesn't get anything extra just for the writing once it's out there it's out there and apple own it but the interesting thing was it's deemed as a massive hit on apple but possibly their biggest hit and he says he has no idea how well it does as far as eyeballs how many people are watching it or whether it's just become this big word of mouth on social media but he, he gets no physical numbers given to him when every episode drops which I find fascinating and it's one of the things that I find interesting about streamers it's impossible to know how well something is doing and how you know and whether something will be recommissioned it is fascinating that you just wouldn't have any idea how well your show's doing so it means that they can't plan and they're also stopping them doing mini or or focusing on mini rooms which is where you go in and you plan a whole season and then you send it to the commissioners and say, this is what we want to do. And if they don't go for it, then nobody gets paid for that time. It's the most bizarre thing. The studios have got a stranglehold on all these people. And as someone who has always championed screenwriting across the site over the years, and I just hope that they get the deal they're deserving of. And I hope that there's more transparency coming in through the streamers because Netflix was added to like the ratings but it don't it doesn't mean anything if somebody's watched the first five minutes of something that doesn't count in my opinion there needs to be more stringent how many people finish the series on the week it dropped you know all those things would be interesting to know and we still don't know them so I'd be fascinated to see what becomes of this strike and how long it will go on for the way we live now it won't impact a lot of stuff it will mean Abbott Elementary which I also finished recently and is still wonderful is about the only network show I watch and those are the ones that are going to be greatly impacted the others Netflix, Amazon, HBO they've all got shows in the bank ready before we start to notice that anything will happen but I'd be interested to know how long it will drag on for I just hope the writers get what they want speaking of writing there is lots of it over on thecustardtv.com you can read Dawn's brilliantly personal piece on the importance of TV at a difficult time in her life and how it gave rise to the TV obsessive who stands with us now on the podcast 
you can read that now. It's called A Love Letter to TV. My review of the latest episode of Succession is up there now. Plus, if you want to go through the archives, speaking of Kerry Russell, we've got pieces on the Americans. We've got pieces on Ted Lasso from Dawn as well. There's loads of stuff there in the archive. Also, in on the news front, Poker Face, which is this big critical darling uh, from Ryan Johnson and Russian Dolls, Natasha Leone finally has a UK home on Sky Max at the end of this month, billed as a sort of weekly return to the Who Done It, like Columbo and all that sort of stuff. Ryan Johnson, very keen that it not be a binge show in the UK, all 10 episodes will be available on that day. So that's what they've decided to do. But we will be reviewing that, I'm sure, when the time comes. Poker Face is coming. And also loads of things to follow us on. Instagram, it's the Custard TV. Twitter, at Luke Custard TV. At Matt TV Bites. At Dawn Glen 2. At Custard TV Pod. You can be a part of the team by visiting all those places and getting in touch. Or by sending us an email, custardtvreviews at gmail.com. You can write us a review anywhere you find this podcast. It just helps us spread the word of us doing it every week. Uh, You can subscribe on any podcast catcher you find this on. Please support us because this is a complete passion project. Tell your friends as well. Yeah, just tell everybody. It's a complete passion project. Strangers. It's, It's a passion project. We don't get any financial benefit from us. We just love TV and we love talking about it and we're, we're happy to share our views with you. Dawn has another podcast when she's not on this one. The Shipyard UST, how's it going? We're heading towards our coming back after our hiatus because my co-host Lucy is um, ending her Masters, hopefully very successfully, and we should be getting back to our A to Z of shipping shows and we'll be adding a whole lot of new ones because in the past year there's been a lot of new shipping and we're including Ted Lasso that's one we'll be adding the night agent has got a good ship in it apparently I've been told which I haven't seen a few other shows so we will be back hopefully next month you can find us on uh, the shipyard UST on YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and on Spotify and all of your podcast platforms Go search us, thecustardtv.com and the Custard TV podcast while you're looking for the Shipyard UST. In the meantime, we will crack on with the four new shows we'll do in this week. BBC One has two new dramas, £10 Poms and Steel Town Murders. We're going to start this week with Dawn Glenn running us through. I don't know why I'm surnaming you all the time. I'm just going to go back to Dawn. We're going to go back to with Dawn Glenn. No, I don't <laughs> Come on, Luke. Dawn! Just Dawn. Plain old Dawn Glenn. (laughs) Going to go back to Dawn for the uh, explanation of what exactly £10 Poms is on BBC One. Yep, £10 Poms is largely focusing on two families uh, in 1956 from Stockport who um, have seen the adverts to emigrate to Australia costs only £10, promises of sunshine, big gardens and a great life. Uh, the Roberts family uh, is mum, Annie, dad, Terry and the kids, Patty and Peter. Terry is struggling with PTSD from the war. He was a prisoner of war and uh, Dresden, so he's been turning to the drink to cope with that. So they're seeking the Australian life as a way to stop him drinking and start a new life. The other main character is Kate, played by Michelle Keegan. She's a nurse 
who, when we see her, she is staying in a, a hotel near the dock with her uh, fiancé. However, when we see them arrive in Australia, she is on her own. As time goes on, we get flashes which seem to indicate that Kate drugged her fiancé to ensure he slept through and didn't come with her. Uh, she also seems quite alert and suspicious about the fact that they all are photographed when they come to Australia. And she asks the photographer, is everyone photographed? So there's something going on with her. They are all horrified to discover that the promised land is not big houses with big gardens. It is akin to, as Annie says, a prisoner of, of war camp. Outdoor toilets, outdoor showers, staying there for free until the parents can, or the adults, get jobs and can earn enough money to get their own houses. And the guy who runs the camp refers to most of them as whinging palms because it's not up to what they expected. Terry manages to get a job uh, digging ditches, but he does not exactly blend in well with his new workmates. He's treated the way Irish and black people were treated in the UK and is bullied and um, ostracised until he actually gets into a fight with his supervisor, Dean, and they decide to go for a drink to settle it. Um, Terry's wife, Annie, uh, goes to a shop and lies and says that she's a widow because she's so desperate to get a job. She does get a job in this clothing store and tells, eventually confesses and tells the truth that uh, her husband is alive. She just really wants this job. Uh, their teenage daughter, Patty, seems to be hiding a secret of her own. She had a boyfriend. We see her, her burn his photograph. It looks like he was uh, not white. And Annie makes a reference that uh, her father, Terry, did not approve. Meanwhile, Terry goes out drinking with Dean. He and Dean go out in Dean's car to drive the dirt roads. Dean is, is driving erratically and putting the lights off, trying to scare Terry. And there is a gadunk gadunk noise, terrible noise. What was that? Have they hit a kangaroo? They stop and discover, no, in fact, they've hit uh, an Aboriginal child. His father comes running. But uh, Dean and Terry run away and escape. I like gadunk gadunk. Thank you. We need more <laughs> onomatopoeia on the podcast. We don't make make use of it being an audio thing at all, hardly. I'd like everything <laughs> to be onomatopoeic in the future, please. Just bear that in mind. Badunk dunk works really well there. So this is going to be all on iPlayer after it starts on Sunday night at nine o'clock. Matt, what did you think? Really easy to watch, I found, and actually quite an interesting story. It's not something that I'd ever heard about before. Um, this is written by Danny Brocklehurst. I found initially when they got to Australia, it felt quite cliched, the way that the Australians treated them. But as it went on, I think, as you mentioned, with Terry and his supervisor and where that story went from that initial hostility with Annie and the um, working in the store and where that's going to go. You know, there's a lot of sort of secrets behind this. It isn't just this is what's happened. Uh, these characters are all hiding something or are striving for something. I enjoyed the performances from Warren Brown. It's great to see him having a, a resurgence with uh, Responder last year and trigger point and now this he was really captivating for me you know that opening scene you saw with the PTSD but they didn't belabor the point it's really good to see Faye Marseille 
um, in sort of a leading role in, you know, a big Sunday night drama. I'm still a bit iffy on Michelle Keegan's performance, but I'm interested in that story as well, because it looks like they're going to explore, was it like the migrant thing where a lot of um, children got deported to other countries? I think that's what they're, they're leaning on there. Generally impressed. Again, it's not something that I'm going to sort of favour because obviously there are shows that I want to catch up with that I, that I like. But I think for a Sunday night BBC drama, it's a really interesting subject to, to focus on. And I thought the cast was strong on the whole. What about you, Luke? Uh, yeah, I would agree with the majority of that. I don't know what it is. I have a, I have a real aversion to Michelle Keegan. I don't know why. She's not offensive in in any way. Just always never seems to play much of a character. They always seem a bit thinly drawn. I think I get the impression that she's quite good in Brassic because it's a bit of a different character for her. To be fair, I haven't seen that. That's, That's probably not fair for me to say then. But I suppose what it's doing in 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 its own way as well is sort of mirroring the migrant experience we're seeing now saying you know everyone thinks the grass is greener oh we'll escape the doldrums we're living in and then when you get there it's not the whole story it's not green and rosy you're not living where you where you expect to be you're not treated the way you expect to be so in that way it's, it feels sadly very relevant and contemporary I don't think it's something I'll carry on with, and I agree it was a very easy watch compared to some of the other things we'll be discussing this week. I don't know whether it's a little bit too easy for the BBC to stick this on on a Sunday night as well. It does have that Sunday night feel, but should they be striving for something a little different, something a bit more out there? I'll always wonder that. When they're saying that they're trying to hold on to a younger audience and then they put something like this on, I don't know who in that younger demographic it will appeal to. Do you feel this is a bit subversive of that? Like, on first impressions, it is like a traditional Sunday night period drama, but but there's more going on behind the scenes. Yeah, but I think you have to to get there to realise that. Mm. And my issue is, will people get there? I thought how they got to Australia and how they explained the £10 pominist of it all was quite mm. clunky and quite rushed, and I. Oh, I liked it because it was it. It didn't take ages to get there, and. But I, and... I, I, I would have liked to see. You know, they could have spent a bit of time on that journey. It was like days on a boat. You know, it would have been quite mm. fascinating to see them on the journey. Seeing the kangaroos out the window seemed a bit cliched to me, and obviously they're going to do it. It's Australia. Yeah, I I just think it's one of those easy ones for them to put on. Just something that I probably won't remember something the next time Michelle Keegan pops up or the next time Warren Brown's in something. I I kind of agree with with everything you've said. It was pleasant enough. It didn't have the charm of something like The Durrells, um, which is the same kind of British family in a hot climbs and dealing with the culture. But it obviously has a darker side to it with, uh, this hit and run and whatever uh, Michelle Keegan's character's past. I think I agree with, with Michelle Keegan, is, and this is obviously not her fault, but her beauty somehow makes her look modern. So she feels incongruous, you know. She's very strikingly beautiful, and I, I, I don't know if that's a distraction. 
But the, I agree. Um, I loved Warren Brown. I just I didn't look up who the cast was, and as soon as he was on screen, I just sort of went, "Oh, okay, that's good," you know. And he was very good. I'm interested to see the two kids, uh, Patty and Peter. Uh, Peter, I thought maybe might have been on the spectrum. He seemed to be talking. I about, agree. You know, he didn't like the shortening of words, so it would be interesting to see if they explored that. And there was another character I didn't mention. Another woman. She seems to be in a, an unhappy marriage and we don't know much about her. She seems to have something dodgy going on with JJ, the guy that runs the She's camp. She's the woman who keeps gathering up spiders. Listening to music on the, the gramophone and uh, um, collecting spiders. It did feel Sunday night TV, but it does have a bit of something more interesting in it. I don't think it's one I would rush to see, but I might watch it if it's, you know, a Sunday evening, there's nothing else on. Holding I might... socks. Yeah, folding dogs. <laughs> I'll tell my mum to watch it. This is probably, mm-hmm. you know, her kind of thing. She loves me, yeah. but that does yeah. sort of reach my point, doesn't it? About um, yeah. yeah, but also, yeah. I, I I don't like it when a drama can't just be about the thing it's about, and it feels like it has to keep throwing issues in. You know, how aware would they have been in that area about? Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov career USBP. Characters on the spectrum, we're obviously picking up on that immediately because it's in the zeitgeist, it's something that's relevant in our lives, but it just feels sometimes like everything has to be so issue-based because they're not confident in we're going to tell the story of what it's like to be new immigrants in a place as opposed to let's just do this and we'll have a hit and run and we'll have a murder and we'll they've got to have the confidence i think just to be the things they are sometimes but you know you've got to grab that audience luke you know audience retention and bloody bloody blah yeah it's, but one, I, of, but it's I... one of those things now you know you need that hook the mm. executives they'll say Oh, you'll need a dramatic thing there. You'll need that there. You'll need to, you know, you'll need this war flashback well, right at the start. I would argue also that with this, not that I am advocating what I hate, I would not want it to start any differently than it did. Mm. But with this, I would say I wasn't engaged properly until about the halfway point, mm. and that is Fair. somewhat risky, I think. But I think to a degree, you do know what you get getting into before you start with it as well. That is called £10 Poms. It's already all there for you on the iPlayer. Or Sunday nights at 9pm if you want to do it the traditional way on BBC One. Sticking with the BBC, we're going to go over to Matt for True Life Crime Drama, Steel Town Murders. Just quickly, Luke, before we get on to this, talking about it all being on the iPlayer and weekly, the colleague who I sit next to at work who is 26... She will not watch anything weekly and will wait until everything is available. So this came up when we were talking about Race Across the World at work. And she was like, her and her partner will wait until the series is almost finished so they can just binge it. Did she say why? 
they like to watch things in one chunk rather than like wait. I don't understand it, but fair enough. I mm. mean, I mean, it's the it impatience, mean, it mean, the impatience it, of youth. Must mean, a, yeah, but in another way, in another way, they're being incredibly patient because they're having to wait eight weeks mm. in the case. But of there's other things they can watch. They're not missing out on anything because they haven't started it, have they? True. Yeah, yeah so I don't they... quite know how a broadcaster gets around that. I suppose they are no, doing the best they can. I suppose this is the audience that they're seeking and what that audience is doing is waiting until it's all there. So mm. maybe that's why they're putting more stuff on anyway. Steel Town Murders, another true crime, uh, true life uh, drama, this time uh, written by Ed Whitmore, who you have interviewed on this podcast, Luke, I believe. Yes, for Manhunt back in 2019. Manhunt. Sort of a very similar story to that, I suppose. This is another drama looking at the intricacies of, you know, what's been missed in a case. Uh, Focus on the murder of three young women in the Port Talbot area. It's told over two timelines. The oldest one is 1973, when the murders occur. The first murder is Sandra Newton, whose body is found in the small town of Neath. Prime suspect in Sandra's murder is her married boyfriend. However, there's no evidence ultimately to link him to this. Two months later, teenage factory workers Geraldine Hughes and Pauline Floyd's bodies also found in Neath. They were found in in Woodland after being raped and strangled. The drama focuses on the police's initial 1973 investigation into the murder, specifically through the eyes of DCI Paul Bethel and colleague Phil Reese as they attempt to link all three murders. The other timeline which we intersperse between the two is in uh, 2002. There is a new uh, detective uh, sergeant, uh, Jackie Roberts, who has decided to reopen this case uh, following the discovery of new DNA evidence. Uh, Paul volunteers himself to be part of the case eventually convincing Phil to join him uh, as they try to link the three murders to a spate of rapes that occurred uh, in 1972, the year before the murders. And the final scene of the first episode uh, sees Paul potentially finding a prime suspect and have his initial suspicions of the links between the three murders being proved to be correct. Dornet, we didn't ask you, I'm assuming you only watched one episode of £10 Poms. Did you do the same with Steel Town Murders? No, I watched two episodes of Steel Town Murders. I found it really moving. Um, There's elements of it that are a lot like Sherwood, how an incident affects a small town and the people who are left. There's a character, I think she's called Sita. She is a friend of the, the two girls, the factory workers. She goes out with them the night that they die, but um, she has an Asian father who is very strict and he comes and drags her from the pub and takes her home. So she has tremendous survivor's guilt. She is part of the 2002 storyline, which I thought is really good. They, I read that they said it, she wasn't based on a specific person, but just on generally other girls who, yeah, who knew yeah, Pauline and Geraldine. And I think that's a really good way to show how it affected the young girls who were um, peers of, of the, the murdered girls at the time. And I also love the fact, the same reason I loved Unforgotten, is the focus on the real hard work of police work, which is a slog. It's repetitive, it's boring. Philip Glenster's character in the 70s has to do taped interviews, and he hates it. 
And then in, in the 2000s, it's taken 500 swabs to get DNA. And I, I really like when they focus on that. And I think that it's, it's um, an interesting take and it's an interesting thing to focus on rather than chasing suspects where we're, no, this is about the cerebral the, and the, the slow sitting down and going through stuff until you find the link that they're, they're looking for. Um, I thought it was beautifully shot. Everything looks like it's covered in smoke or fog. So it's, it's very atmospheric. Um, I just assume that's what it was like in the 70s. Yes. Is that what it was like? Just everything <laughs> was foggy? Yes, it was. I, I, I liked the look of it. Philip Glenster is very good. And I, I read the interview with Philip Glenster and Stephen Rodri. They, they both said, you know, they met their real-life counterparts. And what they were overcome with was the niceness of these men. That, you know, in a time now, uh, with us, we are, you know, dealing with police uh, being in the news for all the wrong reasons. And these are policemen who just really want people to have peace because, you know, it's a 30-year-old crime. And there are some probably in the, the police who were saying, you know, we don't want to spend the money on this because it doesn't matter. It's 30 years ago, he doesn't appear to have murdered again. But they want to do this for the families, to give them peace, to have an answer, even if it doesn't mean that they've, they've arrested somebody, just to have answers. So I, I think that is a really interesting take on the police, an interesting way to look at the police that's perhaps very timely um, for what's going on in the news at the moment. This is also all, go <clears throat> all going up on the iPlayer after the first episode's aired on Monday night at 9pm. And there's also, which seems to be the trend now, a documentary, The Real Steel Town Murders, which I think will also, I think that's going straight to the iPlayer. Like we had like The Real Gold, didn't we? And and ITV True Life Dramas seem to do that on, on the regular. I would sort of say what Luke said for £10 Poms took me till the second half of the episode to really get into it. Um, there was a lot of admin to get to like where we want to be but i've got a real affinity for men in a warehouse rooting through cardboard boxes full of files to try and find things that they missed the first time around it's odd being nostalgic now for 2002 <laughs> but they they had like the old-fashioned web browser david gray's babylon was playing in the background <laughs> you know it's almost like obviously you know there's the flashback to to 73 in this but there is another flashback in here as well the 2002 section gripped me more than the 70s section i think it took me a while to sort of figure out maybe you know obviously they show you which character philip glenister is and i really enjoyed that where you see him in the mirror and then you flash back to the 70s and it intersperses i thought that was really well done but i think some of the other connections it took me a while but once you got to that halfway stage, I thought it was really good. Stefan Rodri, who I believe was also in Manhunt Luke. Was that right? That's right. And I think it's the same director as well. That might be right. <laughs> might be right. And it's got the same sort of feel to it. I think that sort of policeman being good at their job. Obviously, there is that element of the character being haunted. But the demons he's got are to do with the case that he is now trying to solve. He is wanting to right past wrongs. I loved the scene where they went to interview the girl that Stefan Rodri's character knew as a neighbour, 
who was one of the girls who was raped in 1972 and that scene there and him talking to her in Welsh. That was probably my highlight. I would say that this is sort of almost like, a, I, I use this phrase a lot, a solid drama and no pun intended because it's the Steel Town murders. Um, it, it's sort of a bit like the gold for me, I would say. I mean, this has got more of a, you know, empathetic core because it focuses on rapes and murders of, of young girls. So it's it's less of a, you know, romp that the gold was, but it's still that sort of true life crime drama but there's nothing sort of out of the ordinary here. What about you, Luke? Mark Evans is the director, and he did direct Manhunt, the first series as well. So, yeah, we're both right. I wish I could say something a bit more profound, but I can't really. I found it really boring. I don't know why. I think perhaps because crime drama now is more sedate, and isn't the Luther chucking everything off his desk. It is about the admin and the precision of police work and how important it is and how precise everything is and how every little thing needs to be looked at and respected. And I didn't find anyone to gravitate towards. I started fixating halfway through over Philip Dennister's Welsh accent, which is the wrong thing to do. Apparently I, he is half Welsh. We should have used more of that half in the episode. <laughs> I really couldn't wait for the hour to be over. I just felt we'd seen it before. I didn't get any empathy towards anyone we were speaking about. Or Also, the timelines were slightly confusing because, you know, I'm a big music nerd and White Ladder was huge in 2000, 2000 but not so big yeah. in 2002. So I was thinking, what era are we supposed to be in? They started off by listening to, to a tribute act from the 70s. So even the first scene is in 2002, but it could have been in the 70s as yeah, well. Yeah, to be fair, they there could have been, what was it last week, where oh, Silo, where they didn't tell us how far back and things were. We could have done with that here. And I don't know if that's, you know, they'll rectify that or this is the final copy that we've watched on, on yeah, the preview. There, there but... were no Chiron saying 2002 at any point. No. I, I just... You know, I, I respect it, but I just needed a bit more oomph. I just needed something that this just lacked. I couldn't tell you any of the I character get names. Yeah. I couldn't tell you any of the characters' well, names. Well, I've just told you a couple of them. So. I couldn't I I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Still Town yeah. Murders, all on the iPlayer. Check it out. Monday on, on BBC One. So we've done the terrestrial. Now we're going over to the streamers. Two new offerings from Apple TV+. Plus. Now, Apple TV have had a bumpy, sketchy year, I would say, although the guys last week were basically quite warm on Silo. How do we feel, then, about their new drama, City on Fire, and their new comedy, uh, High Desert? Let's find out. We're going to do City on Fire first, which is being set up by Matt, I believe. Good luck. It's adapted uh, from a book by Don Winslow, uh, by Josh Schwartz, who um, is famous for the 2000 teen dramas, uh, The O.C. and Gossip Girl, and co-adapted here with Stephanie Savage. The big change that they've made here is to switch the action from 1977 uh, to 2003. At no point did it ever feel... If, in fact, when it started, I was like, oh, this is like almost famous type vibes. You know, it didn't feel, it felt like of the 70s, 
when it started. Again, this is nostalgic lenses now for the... T- I, I bet people watching Almost Famous said, that doesn't feel like the 1970s. I bet they did. I bet they did. Now there's stuff we're watching which we lived through... We're not seeing it through that nostalgic lens. It's impossible, isn't it? It starts on uh, specifically the 4th of July. Sam, a a young girl in his late teens, early 20s, I would say. She's been shot in Central Park. A man by the name of Mercer finds the body. And also in the background, uh, we see Charlie, who is a friend slash admirer of Sam, then we get the Luke special. Yay, we had to have one. Earlier. We had to have one. <laughs> so we see Charlie explaining his relationship with Sam uh, to his therapist. Uh, he's been made to start seeing a therapist after his father died uh, in 9-11. Uh, we learn that Sam uh, was the year above Charlie at school and she sort of takes him under her wing, gets him into different musics. She's got a zine, which again is very early 2000s. She's part of anarchist group who are responsible for several fires, hence City on Fire. She's also uh, having an affair with a married man called Keith. Keith is married to Regan, who uh, has discovered his affair and wants him to come clean and reveal that they are getting separated on the night of her family's uh, 4th of July party. She's from a prestigious sort of wealthy family. A lot of dodgy things with money going on there. Ultimately, Keith doesn't arrive, nor does Regan's um, estranged brother, William, who is revealed to be Mercer's partner. So there's sort of the link between all of the characters there. Mercer decides to uh, attend the party without William, sort of almost as a way to get back against him because he's hating being there. Mercer and Regan smoke cannabis together, but then Mercer decides to leave the party while waiting for the bus. He hears um, Sam's cries, rushes over to the body, and then the subsequent police attendants, he puts himself in jeopardy. Drugs are found in uh, the jacket he's wearing, which belongs to William. Earlier, we see Sam. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Knows who her assailant is. And the final scene of the episode gives us almost like a shocking last minute twist. I'm going to go to Luke first. I don't think this was for you, Luke, was it? I read a review after watching this episode uh, from Daniel Feinberg over at The Hollywood Reporter. and I, had to... I read the same review. Yeah, he basically called it a non-event, which is exactly what this is. 
you know when I say something's not for me and you say that's your opinion and I said to him I genuinely don't see who this is for what is it about this that will grip people I was so bored with it so quickly all the little interstitials of all different people I didn't care about it didn't feel like 2003 it felt like the 70s all the stuff with the band I thought was really pretentious stupid I didn't like anyone I thought it's one of the worst things I've seen this year and and fair enough I haven't seen a lot that you've watched on the podcast but I can't describe it any better than that review which called it a non-event I've never wanted something to end as quickly as I've wanted this to end you know I might have been bored with the Steel Town murders but I could applaud what that was doing this was all over the place. I can't see any young people being completely utterly engaged in it. You know, the, I, I didn't really love the OC or didn't watch Gossip Girl, but I understood what those were and I understood the fan bases. And this is just so dry and flat and without any life in it at all. The characters all take themselves so seriously and the conversations they have are so inane. The fact that she's, you know, I didn't understand why this young girl took this nerdy kid under her wing anyway, just because, oh, I recognise you from from school. None of it was I think it was me. more to do with the fact he was getting therapy. I think that was sort mm, of, yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, yeah. If I was a better reviewer, like Dan Feinberg is in, in that review on The Hollywood Reporter, I could sort of say, well, you've got to give it props for this. But it really did bore me to death I thought it was just inane who is going to watch this and think I'm going to spend the next nine hours with it I I couldn't find anyone in my friendship group however small that is or or online that I would think yeah it might not be for me but so and so might like it because those people were not people they were just caricatures and and you didn't want to spend any time with it and it took itself far far too seriously so po-faced I didn't like it at all took two genres I hate and put them together. So that was fun um, <laughs> because we got Rich People's Problems and Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Put them together and then you've got some weird succession, almost famous. Can you explain <laughs> the Manic Pixie Dream Girl phenomenon as you see it? Manic Pixie Dream Girl uh, is a trope. There's always this very attractive, free-spirited, arty, wild girl. There's a nerdy, less uh, outgoing, less sure of himself guy who falls in love with her, and she teaches him about the world and music and drugs. Oh, Five hundred to... days of summer. That's the. Yeah, that's basically. the. Yeah. Example. Well, we said that a bit about Daisy Jones, I think, didn't we? Did we not use her as an yeah. example? Yeah. Um, and it's just such a lazy trope to have this girl and and she's so wild and free and you know everybody falls in love with her but she's tortured and dark underneath i really liked mercer the character of mercer if this Mm. had been all his story i would have been more interested but the especially sam's group i did not understand at all what was going on i didn't understand why they were setting fire to stuff why were they a band? What was the whole story about the band had broken up and he was going there to, to see that the, they were singing his songs and there was some weird relationship between William and the, the lead singer and all of that I didn't get at all. The rich stuff was a bit, you know, it was very sort of succession-esque. I, I quite liked that we were seeing it through the woman's point of view, but even then didn't care enough. 
I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what the story was, what the point of it was. I didn't get along with it at all either and had no inclination to watch anymore, even just to find out, you know, who did it. I can't add much more to what you guys <laughs> said, really. I agree with Dawn. Um, I did put down that Mercer was the only character who had sort of any merit to him. But again, you know, you felt like you wanted him just to get out of this relationship and get out of this world as soon as possible and not having any, not have anything to do with these characters. As Luke said, you know, this is young people being written by adults. Clearly, this isn't how people speak. The rich familiness of it is very much based in the world of Gossip Girl, I think, you know. That was set among the elite, I believe, you know, the very little I saw. The only sort of memorable performance for me was John Cameron Mitchell, who came in to chew the scenery for two minutes as this wicked step-uncle. And there's obviously going to be some sort of, like, financial trial-type storyline, which I have got no time for at all. It seems odd, like you said, Luke, that they've transposed this to the 2000s, and I'm not quite sure why you would really um on what the sort of the link is there i mean i i've seen reviews that have said you know that it's a reappreciation for early 2000s indie music but i didn't get a lot of that there i didn't get a lot of this you know not a lot of the soundtrack sort of resonated with me as you know i remember babylon played in the background in uh, steel town murders but nothing in this at all so yeah and i'm in agreement i can't there's going to be someone somewhere because, you know, there's always a defender of every show that we talk about unfavorably. There's always someone who's going to like something. So um, I'm sure there's someone out there, but obviously it's not the three of us. Yet another bit of a damp squib for Apple. I don't quite know. And for some reason, I always think this will be the one. This will be this year's one. Uh, but we do have another Apple show to talk about. And it's one we're going to finish on. High Desert, which is not, as Dawn hopes, pudding on a high shelf. It is actually... Or like high tea. Yeah, high desert, (laughs) as in... High desert, as in the barrenness of life. And it stars Patricia Arquette. Dawn, explain this one to anyone still listening. (laughs) We start off in 2013, where we meet uh, Peggy and her husband, Danny, and their family are living the high life. They are drug dealers. And uh, immediately they are raided and obviously lose everything. Flash forward 10 years. Denny's in prison. Peggy is working in a Wild West show uh, in a small town in uh, the area where she grew up. Um, Her brother and sister come to see the show and inform her that they want her to leave the house. It turns out she's been living with their mother, uh, caring for her at the end of life, and their mother uh, died three weeks ago. Now that she is gone, they're saying that Peggy doesn't have the income to keep the mortgage up. She doesn't have a proper job. She should get a proper job. Obviously, uh, Peggy doesn't take this well. Peggy is clean from drugs. She's on methadone, but struggling. She sees an advert for a, a PI, uh, Bruce, uh, played by, oh, no, I've forgotten his name, but from um, Everybody Loves. He had let down a, a colleague of hers at work, so he's quite a useless PI, and she's like, I can do better than that. So she goes to see him, and he's not interested in taking her on. However, she manages to meet his landlord, 
uh, who's threatening to evict him. She manages to get him more time and get him some free food. That impresses him. So he's like, okay, I'll take you on, but you have to go to PI classes. You have to be properly accredited. She also uh, is in the car she, and sees a bus stop where she thinks she sees her mother, who's played by uh, the amazing legend that is Bernadette Peters, uh, but she convinces herself she hasn't. When she realises that her, her brother and sister are ignoring her, not taking her calls, she drops acid, falls off the wagon, and she goes to the prison to see Denny to ask again for a divorce. Uh, she believes he's signed the divorce papers, gets back into the car to discover, uh, no, he hasn't. She gets a phone call that uh, her boss at work uh, believes she has stolen $3,000 from the safe. One of her friends at work uh, is dating a local celebrity called Guru Bob, who is a former news anchor who went off the rails on screen, and this is his new life as a guru. She sends Peggy a video of herself in his place, and Peggy, being the sharp cookie that she is, notices a stolen Picasso on the wall. And she thinks, hang on, if I, we can get that back, get the reward for that, then she'll be able to have money. And uh, Bruce, the detective, will be impressed with her and her new career as a private detective begins um, chaotically as everything in her life does. Patricia Arquette is a great screen presence. I have seen her in roles where she's unrecognisable, Severance, The Act, Escape at Danamara, you know, she inhabits these characters and you lose her entirely. And I've never seen her play a quote-unquote normal person as she is supposed to be playing here in High Desert. I couldn't get my head around this. Not my usual, who is this for? I just didn't understand how I was supposed to feel towards her. She is at, at one point really childish, She's at one point really human. She's at another point really sort of the most professional person in the place. It takes a long time to get to the central premise where we meet Brad Garrett's character. If it's a comedy, then I didn't laugh. I just thought it was all over the place. The fact that everything Dawn says takes place in that first episode and nothing that you say appears to link well to the, ne to the previous thing you said says a lot about the episode. I think for it to work, you've got to be on her side, and I never was. It was like they had a load of ideas, and they said, well, we'll chuck it all in the pilot. I was really sort of confused and bamboozled by it all. How I read the character was that she's someone who puts on a front, especially when she's around other people. She's super positive about everything, even though everything has fallen apart for her after that final scene, you know. So, as you say, occasionally that facade drops like when she was at the clinic or at the end when she saw her siblings ignoring her calls you know you the mask slips every so often I think this is trying to be you know when we reviewed Florida Man Luke a few weeks ago oh, that yeah. sort that sort of crime comedy in this sort of Elmore Leonard genre you know you've got mm. her wanting to be a private eye the sort of the failed, which is an Elmore Leonard trope, the sort mm -hmm. of the, the down on his luck character played by Brad Garrett. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed it. I have to say, I, I, I can see the alternative view that you have, that you were never on her side and it probably, you know, you didn't go with it, but I was with it. I found that opening scene where they were raided hilarious. 
I I thought that was really funny. For me, it and wasn't then, hilarious, but it was the best bit of the episode by a long way. Then you go to the Wild West show and her swinging in on the chandelier, and I thought that was brilliant. And I loved her interactions with Brad Garrett as well. She's playing it really big, and I think he counterbalances her brilliantly. And it's a it's an interesting dynamic. And I don't know if Dawn's going to ship them in in future. Whether this will be something where. There's a romantic element. I thought it was something completely different. I think her character for me was something similar to Jennifer Coolidge's character in White Lotus. That's what it reminded me of, but with you maybe a little bit more agency and sort of common sense, perhaps. I loved it. And if I had gone on with any of these, this would be the one that I would have pursued. And I will be watching more of these. I watched three episodes. I'm afraid I'm with Matt. I really, this is one of the favourite things I've seen this year. I really laughed so much in that first episode. When they're trying to get all the drugs down the sink with the plunger, when the can-can dancers form a circle and on their bums it says, try the brisket. I just found it all really, really funny. A lot of funny lines too, like, I'm like Mary Tyler Moore on methadone. And I think the chaoticness is meant to be an illustration of her life, is that her life isn't totally chaotic. So there is all this stuff happening at once and the way she deals with it is so chaotic and bad uh, she doesn't cope with anything and she just is rushing from one crisis to another which is it, clearly what her life has been for, for a long time and she has nothing to ground her, to keep her in, in a, a sense of reality she just flights of fancy and taking off and doing this and and I loved Patricia Arquette. I just thought she was really... I liked the fact that even though we can see, obviously, she was a drug dealer, she's drug user, and she has all these problems, the way she is with her co-workers, we can see that she, you know, she really cares about her co-worker who's trying to get away from an abusive ex. And the only thing I didn't get on with was the story about our, our mother, Benedict Peters. I didn't quite get that. As I've seen three episodes, I know kind of where it goes. But the rest of it, I, I really loved. And I, it's definitely something I would carry on watching. And yes, I will ship them. Thank you. <laughs> When's that actually coming out, Matt? I don't have it in front of me. That's Wednesdays. They've got okay. a habit now of doing like Wednesdays and Fridays. Because Apple always used to release on a Friday, didn't mm-hmm. it? But now doing both. I think this is like what they do first three and then one a week. So then all of the ones Dawn's seen, you'll be able yeah. to see on Wednesday. Yeah. That's the barometer. <laughs> all the ones that Dawn has seen, you'll be able to see on Wednesday. And then you have to wait every week. Yeah, Apple, it's like the little engine that could. I keep willing it to have... And I think this is what I... I'd me and Dawn obviously have got re- a different opinion. Re- I'd be interested to see what the reviews yeah. say when they come out. I'm not sure the embargo's up for a bit. Be all right for this podcast, clearly. But at least I think this is taking a risk and doing something different, and I think should be applauded for that, even though it wasn't for you. This is an original concept, and it has things going on that we haven't really seen elsewhere. You know, like Beef, you know, even if you weren't into that, it's still an original concept that we haven't really seen elsewhere. So at least they're trying something. Dawn... Just tell me again, Shipyard UST can be found where online? Shipyard UST uh, on uh, YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and Spotify. And I am Don Glenn 2 on Twitter if you ever want to shout at me. 
Uh, I'm all over the internet, like one of those virus things you hear so much about. I'm at TV on Twitter, on the website, thecustardtv.com. I'm reviewing Succession Weekly. The podcast is out every Wednesday. Matt's on it every week. He's at Matt's TV Bites. Dawn is running the Instagram. That's It's Custard TV. Just search for It's us. the Custard TV, isn't it? It is the, yeah. I, I haven't got time now. Um... <laughs> Thank you for listening, and as always, if you've enjoyed this, maybe it's your first experience, yes, I do always talk like this, and yes, I would like you to tell your friends that we exist, and to rate us on all your podcast apps of choice, and we'll be back next week with Matt, and possibly Dawn, reviewing more... Possibly you? Possibly not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Reviewing more of the week's big shows. Take care. Bye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.